The Living Church, serving the Episcopal Church and Anglican Communion since 1878. Welcome to The Living Church Podcast. Lately, there's been some talk that American mainline Protestants are starting to outpace American evangelicals in church growth. Well, we're not 100% clear yet on what those spicy statistics really tell us, but why has there been such energy behind them? We often think of there being, in a given cultural context, two major groups of Christians at odds with one another. And there can, of course, be more than two, but we often think in terms of two. And this isn't just the U.S., Whether the distinction is political, tribal, liturgical, or who we think has really got the Holy Spirit, we know this. Many of us live in the midst of it, and how we respond can differ wildly from open animosity to reconciliation work to hoping it just goes away in time. Working together across any of these divides, much less worshiping together where it's possible, can be messy business, right? So where am I going with this? Well, if you know anything about the Living Church, and if you know that this episode is about ministry, climate, and creation care, asking questions about divisions in the body of Christ should not come as too much of a surprise, especially from, well, where I am, a U.S.-American context. Today, we're talking about this context particularly, and we're talking with Dr. Mark Purcell. Mark is the executive director of Arasha USA, a Christian conservation organization in the international Arasha network. And we'll talk more about who they are in a second. Mark and I dig into the work of climate and creation care from the perspective of a Christian organizer who works with Christians across theological and denominational spectrums in an organization with evangelical roots. We talk about what they do, but also about how Mark has learned to communicate and build relationships strategically, cross-traditionally, and how other Christian leaders from mainline or liturgical perspectives can build connections over creation care with evangelical and quote-unquote non-liturgical Christian leaders. You want ecumenical work to do? You want climate change action? Mark says, you know start with your neighbors. We hope you enjoy the conversation. Let me just ask, are you, um, are you good and awake this morning? Do you get an early start every day? I'm not like hugely into the Enneagram, but a lot of my friends are. So I kind of, I think it's fun and, you know, whatever. And I was reading through um, that they list addictions, colon, and then they list out the addictions for Enneagram sevens and caffeine is the first thing listed. So I guess I fit the, I fit, (laughs) fit the bill. Caffeine helps you have more fun. Mark Purcell, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. So how are things where you are right now? You're in Austin, Texas. Are you and your family keeping well? We are. Yes, thank you. Um, my daughter and her two children are living with us for a couple of weeks as they move to San Francisco. Uh, um, my son-in-law is already there. 
So we are having a last hurrah with the whole family here together, which is um, very fun. Today, we have brought you on the show, Mark, as you know, as I hope you know, <laughs> to continue our conversation on church leadership, climate change, and creation care. And a couple of episodes ago, I talked with the Reverend Dr. Rachel Mash. Similarly to Green Anglicans, Arasha does education work for communities and churches. They, you guys even have a camp curriculum for kids in Arasha, USA. And Arasha USA also gives out toolkits. You have a carbon footprint calculator and resources for reducing um, your carbon footprint as an individual or as an organization. You also offer a toolkit for reducing plastics in the ocean and helping people to calculate that um, in their own area and to do um, plastic reduction work themselves, which is phenomenal. And you've also, in Arasha USA, got an artist partner. You've got an artist partner, a songwriter and recording artist, Sandra McCracken, who um, some of our listeners today will know that name. And, and that's just in the U.S. And then around the world in Arasha, you've got dozens of different chapters. Folks are doing a lot of work with animals. Can you tell us a little about your own ecclesial and ministry journey and what brought you to Arasha? So I was raised in a Christian family. My father uh, was a psychiatric social worker in the army, and my mom was a teacher. And we tended to be more on the conservative side of the evangelical church. Um, we moved a lot being in the army, but we also um, had a deep appreciation for nature and for God's creation. Um, you know, my dad was raised on a farm. My mom comes from um, uh, up in Canada where, you know, everybody were, were farmers or subsistence farmers. And there was just this deep appreciation for the world around us. Um, you know, you don't walk around with my grandmother without identifying all the birds, all the trees, all the plants. I mean, this was just how, um, how, how we lived. It was, we were integrated um, with what was going on outside the one thing I would critique is that there wasn't really a good or a deep theology around creation. It was simply that this is God's world. Um, go have fun. Uh, but there was no real value beyond that. Uh, and I'm not attributing this just to my parents. I just mean in, in the church in general. Um, that's kind of how, how things played out. But I wanted to go to a Baptist college and ended up at Grand Canyon College in Phoenix, which for me was a very, very amazing experience, transformative in, in my faith. But it really took um, some amazing professors to help shape my, my spiritual life in ways that I'd never experienced before, uh, particularly a church history class that uh, was my senior year in college. And I just, it, it revolutionized my thinking, being exposed to the Desert Fathers and Mothers, the history of the church, St. Augustine, Thomas Akempis, Henry Nowen, Brother Lawrence. I mean, I just read and oh, soaked up all these people. They're so dangerous. <laughs> if, you, if you've encountered it, you know what I'm talking about. It, it really filled a gap for me that had been missing and, and really helped me transition towards a more sacramental and liturgical um, worship experience. The last thing I'll say is that I took a trip around the world as a, uh, after I graduated with Presbyterian Church. And this, I think, really cemented my 
ex- the expansion of my worldview to understand what it means to be a Christian in a much larger context than I had ever been exposed to. So sort of back to the, cre- the creation piece. My brother went to Regent College and studied um, up in Vancouver and uh, Peter and Miranda Harris, the founders of Arasha, taught a summer class there every, every year. And th- I tell you, that course that they taught has influenced more people in North America than, many, than just about anything, especially related to these issues and especially for Arasha. Um, they are phenomenal people and really the architects um, and, the, and the founders of the organization um, and why I bring them up is they were the first people for me to really talk about a theology of creation that began to make sense. You know, what does it mean to be faithful embedded in, in creation as a creature um, living out um, this faith in a way that incorporates creation and doesn't um, separate out the spiritual from the material and, and Peter, in particular, um, who's an Anglican priest, uh, I think was very was a real catalyst for me personally um, on this journey. When I hear your your transition to understanding um, more about why creation matters, uh, why it matters to a Christian, how it matters to a Christian, I also hear this journey into deeper into church history and deeper into sacramental theology. And if there's any place where we see the earthly and the heavenly, as well as the spiritual and the physical um, relating to one another, uh, being co-revealed, it's in the sacraments. Uh, So it's interesting to hear all these things kind of coming together at once for you. As a thing, as a calling for me, yes, for sure. And I just... um, I try to integrate this into all aspects of my life. It's part of an epistemology. It's not just a cause that I want to engage in on the weekends. It's like it, it, it sort of invades all parts of, of my life in ways that I think are healthy and, and good. I'm wondering if you could just say a brief word about where Arasha started as a movement uh, and I think roughly 1983, Peter Miranda Harris, uh, he was newly ordained, did not want to have a traditional parish, parish ministry, and essentially wanted to be a missionary. Um, and his mission was birds, <laughs> along with people. And he was um, able to create an assignment for them to live in um, an estuary, near an estuary in southern Portugal. And <clears throat> it was a it was a community context. It was not just, um, a, you know, scientific outpost. It, it was the beauty of Arasha was really born here and that it is a community that is marked by hope and hospitality um, in a context of creation care. And so that's what they did. Um, okay. it's, uh, it's called Krasinia. It is in a, a, a beautiful, beautiful area. And to this day, I think what... How many years ago is that? Almost 40, where they're still, they still do bird um, surveys weekly. They have people come by and visit. They live in community. They serve three meals a day at a table that Miranda purchased for, um, for the center. It was the first thing they bought because of the value of community and hospitality in that context. 
So um, they've banded or ringed, you know, tens of thousands of birds. They're doing real science there, but they're also doing it in its um, very unique context. Arasha is historically an evangelical organization. Uh, and I would add an international organization, evangelically. Um, I think it's a little bit hard right now to call oneself an evangelical in this country for a variety of political reasons. This is not true internationally. That's very different. And, you know, there's a lot of head scratching from our international colleagues at at a lot of this for us. But um, there's some key people that were involved in kind of shaping and architecting um, this from, you know, John Stott, Eugene Peterson, Eugene and Jan Peterson, especially in this country, were very instrumental in, hmm. in moving the organization forward. Uh, I think it's, it is, it's an important distinction for us as an organization that um, many evangelicals don't, that they just, they, they're in a different part of their journey and they have a hard time with it. So hmm. um, therefore, they do not see the work we do as being um necessarily Christian in orientation. It is sort of a liberal cause or a leftist cause. And evangelicals have been involved in this work for many, many, many years. And um, it's just, you know, it's just something that we, we deal with and try to try to work through. In terms of being able to wrap our imaginations around um, what all this is about, um, it is deeply Christian, but it's also not about a checklist. It's not about liberal and conservative. This is about um, a really basic biblical principle, but we need to have mutual Christian buy-in. We need to understand it, and we need to be able to understand one another and communicate and commune with one another on this. And that being said, um, what have you found, Mark, that really speaks to the hearts of the Christians that you reach out to? Do you speak to different audiences, different kinds of Christians, and does the connection point change depending on who you're speaking to? We didn't want to be um, simply in the business of converting people to the import of these ideas. That's, that's key to our work. I'm not saying we don't do that, but our focus is there are so many people now who are willing, so many Christian people that understand this issue and want to do something. Data is important. Like um, it's important. I don't mean to minimize it, but it doesn't always transform lives Um, in in the way that relationships do (laughs) uh, and the way that stories do. So I would say that where we find connection are stories of hope and restoration within our, our network and other places. I remember speaking to what I would consider an evangelical audience um, about these issues. And frankly, I thought I was going to get some pushback. They, they, like, they were different groups. They said, you know, we were a little nervous about your talk, to be honest with you. We thought you were going you know, <laughs> to harangue us about climate change, blah, blah, blah. We don't believe in that. But man, those stories you talked about, about Christian people doing work in the global south and in India and around the world, I want to, I want to know more about. And I, I think that that's, I mean, this is, this is true for really any organization. Stories are kind of how you um, bring people along to, into your mission, help them understand it. But I think especially for Christians, this is a great way to depoliticize and to engage people in hope. 
Like at, at the end of it, we, we all kind of want the same thing. It's just how we choose to get there um, is can be very, very different. Uh, there's no need to hide from the reality of what's happening. We're very keen to talk about those things, but these are not always great motivators to start there. So we kind of come in the side door. We do it through art and music. We do it through stories. We do it through events. We do it through getting together. Trash pickups are awesome. Like who doesn't want to pick up trash, right? So these are ways that we can access and not lead with um, sort of the political divide that has really carried this issue for so many, for so many people. We're at episode 62 of the Living Church podcast. Yes, now we can collect social security. Or maybe we should wait a few years so we can collect the whole... Anyway, if you're enjoying this podcast, if it's an encouragement to you in any way, consider supporting us starting at just 99 cents a month. We're a nonprofit ministry to church leaders, clergy, and faithful lay folks like you. We're a unique and fun voice in the Episcopal and Anglican conversation. If you believe in what we do, check out the show description wherever you're getting this podcast and click the link to support. We might even pick your name to mention on air, like this. Elsie, Dorothy, Paul, you know who you are. Thanks for keeping us going. Remember, just go to your favorite podcast platform, check out our show description, and click the link to support. It would mean a lot to us. Some of these divisions are so strong and have connected with them some really substantial, for Christians, some substantial theological concerns um, that are understandable. And in some cases, um, you could say, you know, inviolable. I'm not going to give up this theological, this particular theological concern or this point of doctrine. Um, And so to lead with where you may differ with other people or with other Christians on that point. There may be times when obviously you can't, there's, there's not a bridge to cross. Um, but then when it comes to ecology, when it comes to a shared planet, when it comes to this particular shared physical reality and working together there, you are pretty far along the Canterbury Trail. You've also been a faithful Baptist. You've been involved in other Protestant traditions. You have seen into both, broadly speaking, the mainline world and the evangelical world. You you have seen into both. You've also seen into uh, liturgical Christianity and quote-unquote non-liturgical Christianity. So you've seen some of these places where we, we can typically be divided on theology or articulating kingdom values. So when you look at groups of Christians that may typically be divided or have trouble communicating, where do you see that? Let's start with the let's start with the problem, and then we'll we'll get to some solutions. Where do you see that we're talking past each other? Is there language that, like, if I am in an Episcopal parish and I say, oh my gosh, I'd love to do more in my community with creation care, but I need to join with some other folks. I can't do this by myself. Is there a kind of language that if I, if I start with that language or if I start with this kind of positioning myself in this particular way, I'm going to alienate other Christians unnecessarily? 
Or if I have a more evangelical slant, um, do I have certain shibboleths in place that are not helpful to me, that are not going to serve me when I try to make connections with other Christians? What have you seen being in several different worlds at once? <laughs> yeah, that's a that's that's a podcast in and of itself, isn't it? Um, I'd have to say that I love and appreciate the various circles in which I traffic. Um, and I really do try to absorb the beauty and the goodness of each because they, they all have it. Um, I don't, um, I, you're probably familiar with the term third culture. And I sort of, that's kind of me in some, in many ways where I don't necessarily feel at home in either, but I, but I can make a home in, in, in either and have deep relationships and friendships with people um, across the spectrum. I, there's no, there's no silver bullet here. Or there's no good answer. That's just going to, Oh yeah, perfect. That's what we'll do. But I will say, starting with understanding your audience, their concerns, their fears, their needs is really a common uh, way to, to approach this. Um, and it, you know, if you start, if you go to an evangelical church and you start talking about forest bathing, you know, guess what's going to happen? Um, they're going to just, eyes begin to roll. They're like, what the, you know. Does this mean we go out in the woods and start a nudist colony? What are you talking about? Yeah, no, seriously. But but if you, you know, but my mainline friends, they, they use this term all the time. And I understand what they mean. And it's awesome. And I've, I've done it. But I'm not going to call it that um, in certain contexts. Because you know immediately it's already charged. I, I just think we need to we need to be more gracious with one another from the start. And there's a lot of animosity, but we cannot stop talking to one another. I think that's part of the problem. Like you talked about seeing past or moving past one another, ships in the night. That's that, that's uh, I think a good analogy. You know, finding ways that we can de-escalate the the rhetoric find common causes. And we believe that that's typically locally where if there's a local problem that local people want to resolve, you can rally and pull a wide range of people into the mix. And I mean, that's where you start, I think. And it's just a very valuable way to access people because, you know, when you really get down to it, um, people do care. They care that they're, you know, this part of the country is being bulldozed down to the rock for new housing. Um, that That's upsetting to many people. Um, not that people, not that we don't need to build homes, we do, but like how we do that really, you know, you can access what people are, are um, upset about or want to resolve across the political spectrum. Yeah, and it, it it occurs to me as well that a lot of the, the theological underpinnings of creation care have to do with what are creatures, what are human beings, what's our role. And if you're in a church and you're concerned, for example, you're you're in, you're embroiled in, let's say you're embroiled in a conversation about human sexuality and the place of human sexuality or marriage. I mean, these things are not unrelated to createdness, to embeddedness. I mean, it's not as if you're um, setting 
something, setting a concern aside permanently. Um, but in terms of working together with other Christians with whom you may very seriously, very reasonably disagree, um, that that can, in that sense, these things can be put on hold for a moment um, in order to find shared work. And in terms of what we do at the Living Church, I mean, one of the things, um, one of our missions is is um, communion, common life in, in an ecumenical sense, but also among Christians, among Anglicans. Um, and prayer is one of the things that we can do together um, that is uh, that we can agree is important and that we can do. Um, service. Also, that's that's another easy one. It's something we can do together. And when it comes to service, obviously we've talked about, especially in the U.S., there are a lot of roadblocks. Um, you start started talking about forest bathing and people's eyes were glazing over. But it seems to me that, that this respect that you're talking about, approaching other Christians with respect in order to get good, urgent work done, does involve an attentiveness to language. Um, and when you're, when you're speaking to other Christians or you're just starting to reach out to maybe another pastor across town uh, you've not talked with before, or even, oh my gosh, if I was, you know, I'm in North Texas right now, if I was an Episcopal priest at a, let's say a small to medium-sized parish. And I was thinking, oh my gosh, uh, look at these incredibly culturally influential mega churches that are all around me. What if I just made one relationship, a truly Christian, not just to instrumentalize them, but, but I really wanted to have, um, to, you know, double and triple our impact together and to please the Lord by having Christian fellowship with a willing campus pastor of one of these, uh, evangelical mega churches. I mean, how creative, how incredible might that be if that possibility is open? But if I start speaking about something, if I if I present, you know, this is the reason I'm reaching out, and I'm using language that they don't understand, even as a fellow Christian, their eyes are glazing over. I got to stop and back up and say, okay, this is bigger than the kind of language that I prefer to use, um, and we're going to grow in relationship with each other. So that seems to me to be attentive to where another person is and to be creative and to be bold um, and to share a love of place. You know, North Dallas for Jesus, right? If If I'm ministering in North Dallas, I should be thinking like, yes, North Dallas for Jesus, North Dallas immersed in the kingdom of God. Every other Christian leader worth their salt in my radius is going to have the same thing on their mind. Um, and that is, that's the place to start. Um, so good luck, everyone. Go out, go out there. Use all your, use all your free time that I know you have to call all the other pastors in your area. But for real, like, why aren't we, why aren't we doing some of this? It's so simple, but it's so hard to do. Yeah. Just serve O'Doubles or whatever. Um, I, you know, there is, a, you've probably heard of this um, term contact hypothesis or contact theory that contact between groups can promote tolerance and acceptance under certain important um, conditions. This is old, like from the 50s or 60s. They, they, some other researchers came along and did a, a meta-analysis of all of the data or a bunch of the data. And they said, actually, it's not even that complicated. All that is needed for greater understanding between groups is contact, period. 
like we can start there, like hanging out together, finding ways to de-escalate the tension, and just spend time together, build relationships, build community. That's hard, but it's so simple. And I, I would agree with what you just said. There mm. are many practical strategies for how we can do this, but like, we've got to spend time together. And mm. like, how do we do that? that that's for mm. me a, a good place to start. People are coming at this from very different developmental stages. And theologically, frankly, the evangelical church has some homework to do. And how, we, how do we help with that, right? Rather than shaming them, how do we help with people understanding all creation versus, you know, I'm going to heaven and that's all I care about. Like we, we're working through some ancient heresies here that take patience and time because I used to believe that. I was able to make the transition through some very patient and grace-filled people. And I want to I want to try and do the same thing for for those around me that are working through some of these issues. Absolutely, I'm I'm just getting this beautiful vision of um, Episcopalians, Anglicans, Evangelicals, Baptists, Presbyterians, whoever's around each other, having some kind of like pastors barbecue where, <laughs> before even asking somebody what their theology is, just see who's within a what churches are within a five to ten mile radius of you, and invite those pastors to a barbecue at your house. And then through just this contact, as you said, I'm just imagining, you know, if God has a vision, if God has a purpose, if the Lord is at work in this planet, if God has a plan for this planet, if God has a plan for your nation, for your community, for your parish, for the shared life that we have, then surely where Christians gather, where they know each other, where Christian leaders are getting to know each other, they'll start art- articulating to one another these shared purposes. You may find crazy things that you've both heard from the Lord in terms of what you're called to do in your community. And holy smokes, you know, now you can work together. Um, and of course, we've been talking about creation care, um, you know, climate change, these conservation, these types of things. But um Every good work of God is integrated with every other. And so finding common purpose over some barbecue and maybe some beer, if that's appropriate, um, what a beautiful thing. What a beautiful thing. Maybe if you actually are in North Texas, maybe wait a couple weeks because it's still pretty hot here before you fire up fire up the grill. I want to ask you a final question today, Mark, and that is what— does not get old for you in this work? What do you still love as a Christian organizer in the area of conservation? That's such a good question. Um, I would say generally two things. Uh, One is the amazingly beautiful, talented, smart people that I work with both here and abroad. Um, I just find that so inspiring. I'm neither a scientist nor a theologian, and I work with both. Um, not everybody in the organization is a scientist or you know, a pastor, but there's many of them. And I just so appreciate this grand project that we're working on together. And to know there's people in Peru, colleagues in India, the Kiwis, uh, the Canadians. Like, there's this shared DNA that we have 
And let me tell you, there is broad differences in the, in our groups from, from, you know, from Africa to uh, the UK, but there's this common cause that we're living out um, amidst these differences that I just find mm-hmm. very inspiring. These are talented people and have made um, big sacrifices to do what they do. And they're just like, you know, killing it. <laughs> mm. uh, that's probably not the right word to use, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> uh, the, they're conserving it. I don't know. That doesn't ring, you know, it doesn't have the same ring to it. They're, they're just doing, they're doing good work is what I'm trying to say. and doing it well. So my colleagues don't get old for me. Sometimes I get frustrated with them. Sometimes they get frustrated with me, but that's, there you have it. Um, th- the other thing is, and I hear my granddaughter crying in the background. <laughs> um, I love to see restoration, you know, obviously with people, but also with places. And when we take a piece of land that has been, you know, decimated or untended to or unmanaged in any way and rebuild it. Uh, it is so amazing to me to see the transformation of, of, you know, flora and fauna that return native species that begin thriving. Um, I've done it. I've seen it on thousand acre, you know, thousands of acres of, of ranch. And I've seen it on my silly little backyard here. And it's, it's a sight to behold when we are faithful to the ecosystems under which we have some responsibility. It's a very beautiful thing to see it begin to flourish in a context where before it, it, it wasn't. And um, it's truly becomes biodiversity and a system that I think is God ordained. And uh, it's just very exciting to be a, a small part. Mm, that's beautiful. Well, Mark, next time I come down to Austin, I'd love to get in touch, maybe pay you a visit and see some marvel of God's creation down in Austin. I know there are many of them. We've, we've got the river, we've got the hills, we've got the, those bats living under the bridge, we've got the uh, food truck bun me, which are also marvels of God's creation, <laughs> Cre- the creatures of bread and meat, which we... <laughs> Yes, which we have formed into beautiful sandwiches. Mark, again, Mark Purcell, thank you so much for being with us today and sharing your journey in creation care as a Christian organizer. Thank you, Amber. It was fun to talk with you today, and I appreciate the work you're doing. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Living Church Podcast, a ministry of the Living Church Institute. If you want to know what we're up to at the Institute besides podcasts, go to livingchurch.org forward slash TLCI and check out our mission and our calendar. We'll be back around in two weeks with a Halloween special. Historian Sarah Ward-Clavier and I unearth some very old clergy wills and look at the secrets they left behind. Plus a very special guest performance on pipe organ. Subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode. I'm Amber Noel, your host, and it's been great to be with you. Peace. Peace.